Greetings, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the High Red Geek Podcast. This is episode number 27 with Al Day, another awesomely geeky higher ed professional. Um, he's a big DC Comics fan and a Disney lover, um, as well as a musical theater, I believe, uh, came up in this episode. So um, pretty cool stuff there. Uh, uh, Al has a really cool job at UC Berkeley, which you'll hear us uh, talk a lot about um, being a uh, case manager, um, just supporting students through really hard times. So um, really a highlight of the episode uh, going into that work. And I uh, really appreciate Al committing himself to uh, being that hero for uh, students on his campus. So um, yeah, just check out everything that we talked about in this episode down in the show notes over on the blog, howyouredgeek.com. And uh, please feel free to connect, leave a review, share out the show. Always nice hearing folks uh, enjoying uh, any and all episodes. So um, yeah, just uh, get ready for an awesome one here after this quick message from our sponsor. This is episode number 27 with Alfred Day. Hey there, listeners. It's an honor to have our good friends at Swiftkick be a sponsor of the podcast because I've seen their work firsthand and it's truly unlike any student leadership training I've experienced. They've been voted best student leadership program unprecedented five times, so you know they must be doing something right. As a bonus for our listeners, Swiftkick is giving a $500 discount off their normal speaking fee if you mention High Red Geek when you contact them. I highly recommend their trainings for your campus as your students will be talking about it for months afterwards. It's really great stuff. Check them out, swiftkickhq.com to learn more and let them know I sent you. Now, back to the show. So yeah, we'll uh, you know we'll just go ahead and jump in here. So um, yeah, just appreciate you making time for the episode here, um, and we'll go ahead and get started as we always do. If you'd like to do a uh, brief introduction of who you are and how you got to be where you are today. Sure, uh, I'm Al Day, I'm Alfred Day, but most people call me Al, and I am currently the uh, director of student affairs case management at University of California Berkeley. Uh, where I've been coming up on five years, five years or so. And uh, I, I got here from uh, a pri- uh, prior sort of 20 years in housing and residence life. <laughs> mm. And I uh, made a, a sort of switch. It's not a, it's not a huge switch in terms of uh, things, but when you've been in res life for 20 years, it, it feels like a big switch. Uh, and now I do uh, student affairs case management, working with Students of Concern uh, and Behavioral Intervention Teams here at UC Berkeley uh, under the umbrella of the Dean of Students Office. Um, And it's a great job that I love way more than uh, I should. (laughs) (laughs) That's always good. Yeah. And I guess uh, I'm sure maybe like after all that time, because I feel like that's for me, like I'm still very early in my career and I just haven't like tried on a whole lot of hats yet. Like there's been some like, oh, I don't like this one, like maybe that or whatever. Like after that time, yeah, I'm sure you've started to figure out like, what you like, what kind of environment would be good and that sort of thing. So I look forward yeah, to and that it's, day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think it's the sort of thing where I never stopped liking res life, you know, sort of by itself. I think it's just when you do the same thing for 20 years at a certain point, you know, I remember I was, you know, doing a presentation in front of the, my latest group of RAs I was training and I was, you know, talking about something I'm sure that was very important. But in my brain, I, I was thinking about, okay, so after training, I got to go to Target because I'm out of laundry soap. And, and then just sort of being that disengaged from what my day-to-day work was, was kind of a telling thing, which made me say, okay, maybe I need to start really thinking about what it is that I do and, and, and why I do it and what still makes me happy about it, which sort of ultimately resulted in, uh, in me being here at Berkeley. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess it's good even, yeah, if it's like, yeah, you kind of have this like, you know, you kind of uh, shake it out and, you know, just like, oh, well, yeah, it's like, oh, I'm like so disengaged. Like I got to like snap out of this and yeah, find something else that, I mean, some people, I guess, you know, they can kind of go on for a little too long in that way, but it's good that you sort of had that realization and found something that was, uh, you know, better fit for you. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. I, I find that a lot of people in the field end up uh, sort of lasting the longest in positions that were just past the position that they really enjoyed. So people get very ambitious and then they, you know, do a job really well and get promoted to the next job. And then the job that they spend the longest time in is a job they got promoted into that they don't like anymore and they're not that great at it. So they can't sort of move up. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and then they're they're looking at the people that are working for them doing the job that they really enjoyed. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I think that is uh, very true. Because, um, yeah, I think it's come up in a, a couple of uh, episodes, even like way back in you know, the other podcast I did of just like, you know, yeah, that, that somebody might spend a lot of time in a place where they still have like a fair bit of student contact. And if they like, you know, yeah, being ambitious and moves on to something else, not realizing, I guess, how much maybe they value that and missing that. Absolutely. And then like, yeah. you know, kind of trying to reconcile yeah. that. But um, ambition is a double edged sword. Oh, yes. Um, so well, I guess, yeah. So, you know, you had a long career in res life. And I don't know if that's where you like did kind of. Um, you know, start out even back like an undergrad, but something I like to hear and explore just obviously because we, you know, work with students during their formative times and undergrad, you know, what was that experience like for you when you were an undergrad student? And like, what are the things that that gave you personally and or professionally that you still use today? Well, it's an interesting thing because, and I don't think my story is unique in that as a, I was a first generation college student, like many folks in in the field. And, you know, I I would say, looking back on it now, I was woefully unprepared for college. And, um, you know, I I started, you know, like most everybody I know as an RA uh, in my sophomore year. And it it was definitely life changing. It was the first time I found community at college um, in in a way that, that made sense and mattered to me. Um, I, I was quite honestly, not that engaged in the academics, uh, of college. Uh, I was a pretty bright guy, but it just, you know, my goal had always been getting into college and I kind of hadn't thought much about what I was going to do once I got there. And then getting involved as an RA was really sort of the thing that I latched onto and became, you know, pretty much my identity as, as an undergraduate. Um, and it, it, it really was in essence life changing in the sense that it gave me a purpose as an undergrad and a career after I, after I finished. Um, and, and so I, I can't, I can't sort of overestimate how important that experience was for me, uh, particularly the, the, the mentors and great folks in student affairs that I had at my undergrad, which was Fresno state, uh, a, a great and important mentor to me was, uh, Charles Miller, who is, uh, we call him Charlie, but who there's a Kuho has a, the Charles Miller award, uh, that they give out every year, who was a, a very important mentor of mine who really set me on the path to the work I still do. Hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think like, it's a similar thing for me, just like uh, still, uh, like pretty fresh, just knowing like, cause yeah, like I was an RA for two years, worked in uh, res life as a graduate student. And my first professional role was also in res life for two years. And just like, 
yeah, like I, who I thought I was before I became an RA was like, you know, not a leader, very shy. And like, you know, I can still be pretty introverted, but just like, yeah, it gave me confidence in the unique strengths that I have and that I have something value to contribute and just like kind of put me on this path to kind of give back to folks and support them in their own, you know, education journeys. And it is, yeah, it's just wild because yeah. obviously yeah, it's, it's not a unique story, but it's still always just an awesome and powerful one to me. Just like how, yeah. you know, how many people can have that experience and, um, kind of work to give back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially when you talk about the sort of introversion part, cause I was then and remain a, a fairly, uh, massive introvert. And I know part of the thing that we have to be careful of is, is, particularly when we're hiring student staff is sort of only looking at the extroverts. And so I'm, I'm an introvert who has the ability to perform as an extrovert, mm -hmm. but that's never going to be sort of my, my default. It's definitely a, something I put on. Um, and, and sort of finding that for me was, was so critical to, to sort of my development. And, and it's part of the reason, particularly in res life, part of the reason why, you know, and, and people who know me know I'm probably the person who has more, more sort of criticism about the field of student affairs than anybody I know. But I think it comes from a deep and abiding love, love for student affairs and wanting it to be better. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right there alongside with you. <laughs> um, cause yeah, it's somebody who like thinks a lot and cares a lot and just like, yeah, like tries to form sort of substantive, meaningful opinions and, you know, have that discourse and stuff because yeah, you care so much about the outcome. Right. And, and you, you, you know, always, I think it's important to ask questions. Like it's, for me, it's a central part of learning is, asking why we do things. And there's a lot of things that I think we do in student affairs because the people who taught us how to do student affairs, that's what they did. And mm -hmm. it's not necessarily that we thought much about it. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, uh, I'm very tempted to go down that tangent, but we will <laughs> hold off for now. Um, sure. but yeah, so, you know, you found this job now, you know, after this long career in, um, housing and residence life, you know, that you feel is like a really good fit for you. Um, so what are those things that you really enjoy about the work that you're doing now? And just kind of explore that a little bit more. Sure. Uh, when, when I sort of started questioning sort of my career in res life, I, I sort of did a self-assessment and said, okay, what are the parts of the job that you still really engage in and really enjoy and, and are really still sort of, uh, up for? Um, and part of it for me at that time was the crisis management, um, piece of, of, you know, sort of res life positions in the sense that, um, and this goes, probably goes back to the, the deep nerd that I am is the part where it's as simple as people are having a tough time and somebody needs to help them, um, was just sort of a, a real central core of my sort of student affairs sort of value system. And literally I, you know, I sort of came to that conclusion on a Saturday and on a Sunday I saw the job description here at the time it was for care manager at UC Berkeley. And it was almost exclusively crisis management. It was helping and working with students in distress. Um, and the interesting thing was, is it was, I was a director of housing at the time and it was a, a bit of a step down, uh, for me, both, uh, financially and positionally. But, you know, I sort of took the risk and said, Hey, this is, this is something that matters. And this is something important. And if you're gonna, I'm, 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 I'm not young, but I'm not yet ready to retire. And if you're gonna, you know, have a, a, the next 20 years be as satisfying as the previous 20 years was, you know, this might be a, a critical move. And, and it, it has been, it, it's been sort of really wonderful because now my entire job is really about helping people in trouble. Um, sometimes those folks don't know they're in trouble, um, but they are. 
And you know, my job and the job of the team in my office is to help uh, people when they're when they're struggling. And the the sort of incredibly satisfying piece of that is it's it's a job that I feel like a, a, I talk to a lot of people who look at the things that we do on a day to day basis and find it emotionally trying and you know, say to me, I, I don't know how you do that job. I, I couldn't possibly do that job and go home at the end of the day. And I go home at the end of the day feeling great. I feel like every day I, I do something that in, in a very real way helps people. Um, and and I, I don't know, uh, you know, it's too many issues of Superman, but I don't know a better way to, to live your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think um, that's the thing for me. Yeah, it's like, I, I know that maybe the way that I've experienced sort of like, you know, working in conduct hasn't felt like a good fit, but yeah, like that kind of mentality, yeah, like resonates with me. And I always appreciate the idea that some people I know that work in conduct kind of kind of come at it with is that, you know, you're, you just never want people to feel like you're giving up on them. And it's like, yeah, there's yeah. this really hard time and let's like help them through that versus, you know, making it even more difficult or like making them yeah. feel bad about themselves or something. So, yeah, um, it's very much a mindset. You know. I think it's very much about understanding what happens when someone goes through a tough time. Cause we've all gone through tough times ourselves. Right. And, and sort of, you know, one of the operating principles is what would I have liked if, you know, someone, you know, was interfacing with me in the, in the worst experiences of my life, what would have been helpful? Um, and so that, that's sort of an operating principle for us around here often is, you know, if, if this, if you were on the other side of that table, you're meeting with that student, what, what would you hope that person would say or do for you? Mm-hmm. Well, cause I'm sure, uh, I guess, and correct me if I'm wrong, like, I'm sure you're dealing with people who might be like acting out and then also people who are just like, yeah, like really just having a rough time because of life events or like mental health or, you know, just yeah. other kind of wellness pieces, but then also like, you know, maybe that's cropping up where it's like, oh, you're like, you know, causing trouble on your floor or you're like, you know, just being disruptive in the community, you know, of the campus at large somehow, or, you know, you're yeah. just doing things that you shouldn't be just because you're yeah. sort of in distress. So it's like, yeah, part of yeah. it's like, okay, I don't want you to like feel like I'm coming down on you and trying to get you in trouble. It's like, you know, yeah, like, yeah. let's not give up on you. Let's like, if you want to right. stay here, we'll, we'll find and, a way. And yeah. And honestly, a lot of our students come in sort of with that because, you know, you get a, you get an email from somebody you don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Some some guy named Al Day who works at, uh, in the Sproul Hall and says, I hear you're having a tough time. I Come see me. And so, you know, I, I think that to a certain extent, it, it's not unreasonable for somebody to be a little wary of what that looks like. But, you know, largely what we're doing, you know, we, we go to pains to say, you know, we're not the trouble office, right? Student conduct is. That's next door. <laughs> but um, in essence, that, you know, our job is you're having a tough time. Is there anything the university can do uh, that can help you through this? Is there something that you need? Is there somebody, someone that we can advocate on your behalf to? Um, oftentimes for, for us, it's people who are going through a mental health crisis. And sometimes they are not in position to really understand the, the assistance that we're, we're trying to provide. And that, that can be difficult, but it can also be really rewarding to understand that you know, one of the things we say in our office is you hear a lot in higher ed that retention is, is, you know, all of our business with every student. And that's just not true for us. You know, there are plenty of circumstances in which retention is not going to be best for this individual student or is not going to be the best circumstance for the student as a whole, right? Or for the, for the campus community as a whole. And that, those can be really tough meetings and tough calls to make and, and things of that sort. Um, 
and working with a student who's going through a significant mental health crisis who, you know, you know, the best thing might be, hey, you need to take a medical leave and, and go get some treatment for, you know, several months. But that person is not in position to really appreciate that. And, and perhaps is their mental health crisis, the, is the symptoms of it are they can't really act on their own in their own best interest um, is, is really tough and emotionally trying. But at the same time, those are the folks that really need our help. One of the things we say in our office is, you know, if, if the normal protocols and ways of working had, were going to work in this circumstance, they probably wouldn't have ended up in our office. People would have already tried them. Right. And so the joke we make is if somebody had a camera on our office, they, they would think we weren't working because so much of our job is sitting at our desk with our heads in our hands going, well, what are we going to do about this? I don't know. Do you have a good idea? I don't, I don't know. Do you have a good idea? Um, because it's, it's just being creative and, and trying to find a way to help a student, uh, that, that nobody has thought of yet. Mm. Yeah. Cause I'm sure like, yeah, there's some probably tried and true things that you can do, but it, it is so much of the kind of complexity of humanity that you're dealing with. So Absolutely. it's like really not going to be like a one size fits all thing. Yeah. And it, yeah. it so really is, even if the circumstances are similar. Um, but that's also the other thing that that makes it interesting. You know, I've never had a boring day at this job. Um, it's it's it, because every circumstance requires you to be as creative as you possibly can be um, to come up with a solution because everybody else on campus has already tried and failed. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so we're often the last sort of stop. Yeah. Well, and I guess too, like, I'm sure for some people, yeah, they might be like, oh yeah, like who is this person like trying to reach out and confused or whatever. But yeah. And other times, like it's been very impactful for me, just like realizing that people are noticing, like if things are different or anything like that, and just like somebody looking out for you, you know, and like just reaching out, like it's just those things. And yeah, the, the support services that you offer yeah. just makes the world to people, you know, worlds of difference to people. Um, I think so. Yeah. I mean, one of the things we've heard from students is, is that, you know, UC Berkeley is a very large institution, 40,000 people, 40,000 students, and it can be very impersonal. And w even if campus is half the size of ours, you hear students talk about, they feel like a number. And I've had more than one student say, you know, this is the, the only office that treated me like an individual and not like just, you know, student number one, two, seven, five, eight, two, six, you know. Uh, that may actually be an actual student ID number. I don't know. I just made up random numbers, but, but, you know, sort of our goal is to bring somebody in and say, Hey, no, we care about you as an individual. What's going on with you? Uh, what, what are you, what is your challenge and what can we do to help you? Uh, the joke I like is, and it became sort of a meme on campus meme is I feel like we're engaged in artisanal student affairs work mm -hmm. because every, every sort of thing we do with a student is individually crafted for what's going on with that student. Um, and you know, that, that of course means there's a lot of time and energy that goes into individual students. Um, and so we, we, you know, we're victims of our own success in that whenever we are able to help a student, um, the folks who were involved in that situation, if they feel good about it, they're more likely to refer more students to us and then we get busier. And ultimately, unless we grow, <laughs> it, it makes us less capable of, of giving that same attention to the next student. But that's, that's a, it's a, I won't say it's a good problem to have, but it's, it's, uh, uh, it means we're on the right track. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause yeah, that is that tricky business of just like, 
you would hope that not every single student on campus is experiencing like hugely disruptive, you know, life events that you, you would need to help with. So it's like, yeah, it's almost like you want to get to a sweet spot where it's like, okay, what seems to be like, you know, quote unquote, normal amounts of traffic into our office, because if everybody's experiencing, like, you know, they don't know where to go to for, you know, classes and registration and they just feel really stressed out it's like maybe we need to like do some sort of like right you know, where's like, the education yeah like, where's we, uh, where are we being proactive yeah, right like stay um, off, and yeah. and we do have a, you know a bit of a challenge in sort of balancing uh you know so we we spend a lot of time talking about what student risk factors and and what are what is sort of the threshold for a student to be referred to our to our services um, and it started fairly high, you know, where we're really concerned about people who are potentially harm, going to harm others or potentially going to harm themselves. And those are still obviously the things we're really concerned about. But there's been a bit of a it's hard to say mission creep because I think it's still good work. But uh, it, the, sort of our mandate has expanded because one of the big uh, uh, sort of areas for us is risk points or, or distress points where you're observing a student and there's there's certain factors that come into play that says, hey, this student might be heading towards a, towards distress or might be distressed. And as we've gotten good at educating folks about that, they've gotten good at, at referring students to us early, which we want because in, interventions are more likely to be successful if they're early. But the number of students who are, who are distressed at that point is much higher. And so then it sort of puts pressure on us to be able to provide those that support in a, in a very real way to a student. You know, one of the big sort of points of, uh, that we keep an eye on is if a student's missing class, um, pretty regularly that, that had been attending class really regularly. That's, that's a point we want to keep an eye on. So we put it in our gold folder to say, say to folks, Hey, this is, you know, a, a point you want to pay attention to. This might be a sign of the students in distress and people paid attention to that. And now we get reports when students are missing a lot of class, which is important and which is good and which we can be helpful. in if we, you know, another person reaching out to a student, but we get so many of those <laughs> that, you know, our ability to actually do more than send a letter gets compromised, right? To just say, hey, we noticed you're missing classes. Please let us know if there's anything we can do. Whereas two years ago, I might be able to send an email, do a phone call, have an RA check in on them, do a few things. You know, it's, it's just a matter of us. Uh, we're victims of our own success. We, I think we've done a good job. And because we've done a good job, more people are comfortable working with us. And the more people that are comfortable working with us, the, the more impacted we are. Again, good problem to have, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, really interesting work. Um, you know, just uh, kind of curious about that. Um, so we will uh, leave it at that and kind of move on here. So you kind of mentioned, you know, kind of your kind of nerd geek core, uh, sort of, you know, the kind of superhero uh, kind of mentality that you have, which I think is a good one for all of us to be like good, positive bystanders and just like helpful people. Um, so if you want to talk about uh, a little bit more sort of like what you're geeking out about currently, you know, the stuff that you've always been into and maybe anything that you've discovered more recently, because um, I know you're, uh, I think, a pretty big DC fan, and I think uh, I am a huge DC. Yes, yeah, so, uh, talk a little bit more about that, and yeah, just any, anything yeah. else that you kind of geek out about. Well, it's interesting. I, yeah, I'm the biggest DC fan uh, in, in the world. So yesterday, Action Comics number thousand came out, uh, which is the first uh, American comic anyway to hit number thousand. Uh, they also considered it the birthday of Superman, although it's not technically. It's good enough for for government work. Um, <laughs> 
And so yesterday was a pretty cool day. I, at lunch, I went down to the local comic shop and bought my copy and then came back to work. And my, my, my new comic was sitting on my desk. And the whole afternoon, I, I had to resist just closing my office and cracking open a comic because <laughs> I thought that probably wasn't the most responsible use for the uh, state of taxpayers' uh, salary they're paying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm geeking out. I'm always geeking out on comics. I love comic books. Uh, we are in the process, you know, uh, I, I work with a, uh, a variety of educators, higher ed folks around around the country, put together panels for a variety of things uh, under the umbrella of Geek Ed. Uh, uh, so we just finished doing a panel for WonderCon, which is a Comic-Con that happens in Anaheim. I looks like we're probably going to be putting together a panel for San Francisco Comic-Con uh, in June, and we're putting the finishing touches on the four panels we have done for the last couple of years at the big daddy comic-con comic-con international in san diego so that that we're deep in the process of and that's always incredibly exciting to, to put those together it's a lot of work but it's just so much fun uh to you know comic-con is probably uh my favorite place on the planet uh it's like uh, brigadoon i'm also a a giant musical theater nerd. So, you know, I throw in the musical theater reference. It's like Brigadoon in that it's this wonderful place that appears for four and a half days once a year and then disappears into the mist only to return the next year. Um, So, you know, Comic-Con is maybe my favorite place only, you know, you know, with Disneyland, a close second where I just uh, had a sort of a life goal. I achieved a couple weeks ago where I went on the walk and waltz footsteps tour and they took us inside Walt's private apartment at Disneyland, uh, mm-hmm. which I'm the kind of nerd that I just was up there and I got a little dusty in the eye and I got <laughs> really weepy because I was just thinking about, you know, all the stuff and Walt Disney and, you know, and I love Disneyland and, and all that kind of stuff. So, I, you know, I, I am I'm not just nerd. I'm uber nerd. I'm looking in, around my office right now and I, I kind of do this intentionally and I got so much nerdy stuff in my office that uh, I'm sure people wonder why. But I, I got to tell you, students respond to it in such a positive fashion. I, it's something I'll keep doing, um, particularly in the work I do now that, that uh, I, th- this sort of nerd sort of environment I've created has really allowed me an in, in, uh, entry point to so many conversations with so many students. Um, I'm, I'm a this is something that's come up recently. I'm trying to figure out what to do with this idea, whether to write an essay or a paper or, or something of that sort. But I, I, I'm of, of the critical belief that fandom, whatever that fandom looks like for people, is so critically important. Uh, that knowing what someone loves uh, really tells you an enormous amount about who they are and what their values are. Um, and the fact that you love something. I, you know, when I'm, when I'm talking to young professionals, oftentimes they go, well, what's, what's your one piece of advice about being successful in student affairs. And the advice I always give is have something that you absolutely love that you will not compromise on that has nothing to do with work. Mm. Um, and whatever that looks like. Um, and for me, it's sort of my nerdy stuff. Uh, uh, but you know, it sort of came up when I was doing a lot of community theater and I was having a really sort of stressful time at work. And what I discovered in when I was doing the theater is I had to be present. I had to be there if I was going to do, do well at all in, in, in the show. And the result of that was I couldn't think about work, which is exactly what I needed to do (laughs) was to, to a have a reason that was non-negotiable that I had to leave work at five and B to have whatever that activity be to be so all consuming as to, I didn't have room to think about work and it actually was so incredibly healthy. Um, so I, I could talk about stuff I'm geeking out about, 
or I, they probably should have my own podcast for <laughs> just the rest of my life talking about stuff I'm geeking out about. Right. Just like Al talking comics, you know, just Al talking comics, <laughs> right. you know, with a little trip to Disneyland and then, you know, a little side one at musical theater. Yeah. yeah well, that's so, <laughs> Here's yeah. my thoughts on Oklahoma. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, cause yeah, I think it's so cool. Just, yeah. Like you got to, uh, yeah, like do that tour. And I think, cause I think, you know, kind of the, like the power of being somewhere that like has so much history in it and yeah. like, you know, just really appreciating that and kind of soaking it all up and just kind yeah. of letting it, letting it hit you. Yeah. Um, I kept like touch, there was four chairs and I made sure to touch them all. Cause I knew Walt had sat in one of them. I wasn't sure which one, but I just, it was this weird thing where I just touched the chairs. I had to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Cause yeah, that, I mean like I was a history major, so just generally appreciating like history and just seeing yeah. like old stuff it's just like there's a whole story of how this thing got to this old antique shop or something or you know right you know whatever it is but yeah whatever uh, that story is and it's it's i don't know it's for me anyway it's so sort of critically important and so engaging and it really oh my gosh like like i said earlier i think fandom is important you know i think when you get someone talking about the thing that they love there's this thing that comes over them it's one of the reasons i love comic-con this thing comes over a person when they're talking about something they're really into where they sort of lose time. Uh, you know, uh, you know, this usually comes up, you know, um, around and amongst nerds, but I think everybody has a version of this yeah. where the thing that I would say your fandom is the thing that you can talk about for hours and never get tired of. And your friends look at you like you're nuts. I think everybody's got a little bit of that. Some of us have multiple things and which is, you know, why we're middle-aged and single, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that it's it's such a lovely when I know someone's fandom, I feel like I know them. Oh yeah, because um, yeah, that's something yeah, I've kind of thought about a lot and seen a lot. It's like it doesn't matter like what it is, just like how you love it and how you sort of like engage with it and stuff. Because yeah, it's obviously like sports, sports very popular thing, or it's cars, or like right. You know, we had past guests where it's like woodworking or. Um, yeah, like, I mean, you doing theater, like I'm sure there's a lot of people who do similar kind of things or like improv yeah. people do, you know, like it's a very yeah. all consuming, um, kind of creative endeavor. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's like part of the reason why, you know, I wanted to like kind of format this podcast this way. It's just like, cause yeah, there's obviously a lot of overlap in the things that people enjoy, but just like hearing those like really unique things is really fun because yeah, like everybody has their thing. And like, yeah. if you think that it could be a thing, there's like billions of people on earth. So like, there's definitely right. somebody into it. Yeah. There's um, somebody who's into it, right? Yeah. Like I'm a DC <laughs> comics fan. Right. And, and the other thing is I'm a DC comics fan, but I, I get really annoyed at sort of the reju reductive nature of how how comics fans talk about like like i'm a dc fan so that means i hate marvel i'm like no I, right. I love marvel i love i love marvel comics i love marvel movies like you the the great thing about fandom is it's not necessary to hate one thing if you love another although a lot of people sort of engage in it in that way that like your identity is not only formed by the thing you love but by the thing you hate and i just try not to like there are things i don't enjoy but i don't spend a whole lot of time going you know uh you know this thing sucks because i don't know what the what the real ultimate point of that is other than you know sort of making you cool cool guy and let's be honest i'm already a cool guy i don't need extra right. uh, <laughs> but uh, uh like it's it's such an interesting thing when you really have a conversation and I, I honestly feel like i don't know a person until i know and this is definitely true at work until i know sort of who you are outside of work. Not that I can't work with you, but it's hard. And you know, it's not like I'm entitled to know who you are outside of work, but I feel like I can really engage with you. When, when I see you 
really love a thing that tells me about you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even if it's just like a morsel, because I think uh, I've taken a few trips recently and like people always ask like, oh, how, you know, like how's your trip or whatever. And it usually pops up because I like when I travel to areas uh, to go try like local craft beer because it gets a little bit of a local flavor, something, it's always something different and new, whatever. So I feel like that's like yeah. my thing at work is like, I mean, a lot of people know my like geeky interests because I've had a lot of my like toys on my desk, but it's like, right. you know, when people are like, oh, how was your trip? I'd be like, oh yeah, I tried this brewery. I went here. So then like, yeah, they'll be able to say, oh, have you tried this one that's in, you know, Baltimore? Have you done this thing? You know? And so it's like, yeah, it, yeah, it just kind of breaks down those barriers a little bit where it's like, they know me as a little bit more than who I am right. day to day at work. And, um, yeah, and, and, and I think it's valuable. a real yeah. genuine way to, to connect with people. I think it's, it's. You know, you hear a lot of a lot of uh, people get very nervous these days about sort of, well, how do I engage with people at work in a, in a way that that is not sort of, you know, particularly right now where all of a sudden there's a bunch of, you know, straight guys who are like, well, I can't talk to you. I can't say anything at work, uh-huh. you know, which I think is just about the most ridiculous thing in the world. But <laughs> mm-hmm. it's it's this it's this sort of idea. Of, there's plenty to talk about. That, that doesn't sort of marginalize and victimize people. Like just be genuine about who you are and what you love. And you don't have to, you don't have to be a jerk at work. You don't have to, uh, I don't know. I, I get very frustrated yeah. uh, sometimes with, with people who can't figure out how to be around other people without being harmful. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I just, cause you know, it, it's, it's, and part of it is even in fandom, like I've seen it happen. Right. And, and I've been guilty of it where, sort of one of my one of my operating principles is if you love a thing you don't it, it's important to include people into that circle of love and not exclude people and so the distinction i always make is i love comic books and i love superman and batman right and so if i meet somebody and i was guilty of this when i was younger meet somebody who says oh i really like batman and i say oh have you read the dark knight returns and they say no what I used to say is, oh, well, you're not really, really a Batman fan if you haven't done it, which is such a like just crappy way to to do it, because it's mm-hmm. all, that's all about your own ego and proving your own credibility and something that in the cosmic scheme of things isn't really important. But if you just switch it instead of saying you're not a fan, if you just switch it and say, hey, if you're a fan, you should try this, which is just a slight adjustment, but brings people in and toward you. And, and increases the circle of people who love what you love in a way that I think is a really neat, as opposed to a, a way that just sort of excludes people and sort of is about your own ego. Um, it, 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 you know, there's, there's a lot of, as much as I love fandom, there's a lot of crappy stuff in fandom, which you can see from like the Gamergate stuff and mm-hmm. some of the real awful things that we, we've seen in those spaces as well. But I don't know. I think it's all about love ultimately. Like if you, if you can figure out a way to share love and share passion and keep in mind that it's about including people in the circle as opposed to keeping people out of the circle, man, that's a powerful thing. Mm. It is indeed. Um, cause yeah, it's like, it's okay to have preferences and like, yeah, just because like you like a thing and somebody doesn't like it, like doesn't make them wrong or stupid or something or you know, like, right. you don't have to. Yeah. And it, cause it gets it. Yeah. There's like so many layers. It's like, it's okay to have preferences. Cause yeah, like for me, like I'm a huge star Wars fan, Right. And like I prefer Star Wars to Star Trek, but I've watched a lot of Star Trek and it's right. good and that's yeah, fine. But good. I just, I just prefer it. But like, um, yeah, it's just like, there's so many presumptions that people make and it's just like, yeah, being more welcoming and like being open to 
what other people are into because it's like you can have preferences you can you don't have to like everything nobody else has to like all the things that you like and you know there's kind of room for everything now especially just with so many platforms and oh absolutely um, yeah it's just yeah it's when i think so much of that is just about sort of the the human impulse which is i don't think a great impulse but this human impulse to create an in-group and an out-group you know to to be hey I'm, I'm on the cool side of this equation and, and you aren't, um, you know, I, I have the cool music and you don't, um, you know, it's, it's just, come on. Like we can, you can love many, many things. I love DC because it means so much to me and it sort of had a lot to do with how I formed my, my sort of moral and ethical center. Um, and Marvel has some really cool comics that I really like and I've really enjoyed. Right. Both of those things can be true. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, well, I guess, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of answers a bit of my questions. And I guess, um, yeah, I guess just to kind of follow up on that, because I am just curious, because you mentioned like a couple of different like Comic Cons. And I, I went to San Diego a couple of years ago um, uh-huh. when you all like put on your, like one of your panels. And I guess going to like some of the different cons and stuff like that, like, yeah, I know that's like a huge thing for you, especially San Diego is like a, you know, really just a yearly kind of pilgrimage. What, what are those kind of specifically give you in terms of like, that's kind of a way that you geek out about the things that you geek out about is yeah. going to those conventions. Like what, what is that experience like for you? How has that kind of positively contributed to your life? You know, it's, it's such an interesting question because I, I've been saying for years that particularly as a higher ed administrator, I wish higher ed was more like Comic-Con. <laughs> Because if you go to Comic-Con, it's a bunch of people who are really interested, very engaged in learning stuff, whether that be learning the history of, of, a, of a particular character or the history of a, of a creator or learning how to do art in a certain way or learning how to break into screenwriting or, or really, really interested in sort of what's, what's coming up in, in entertainment and things of that sort. And they're, they, you know, if you consider sort of the panels, the classroom where you're getting sort of the formalized education – and you considered like the lines and the, the exhibit floor sort of outside of the classroom thinking. If the conversations I've had in line at Comic-Con about passionate conversations with people about, you know, sort of nerdy topics. Can you imagine if students on college campuses were engaging that passionately about the things that they were engaging in in class? Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's disagreement, right? Like Comic-Con is like the perfect example of like. Uh, civil disagreement, you know, and you can, you've, I've seen incredibly heated arguments at Comic-Con, but you know, nobody got into a fight about it. Um, um, but the other piece that I love about specifically Comic-Con International in San Diego is it matters so much to the people who go that it is for, for a lot of people, it's the one time a year, the four and a half days of Comic-Con is a time where they are hundred percent fully themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, where they edit themselves uh, every day of their life because, you know, it's it's just you have to get through life, right? And so to sit at work and be like, you know, Action Comics number 1000 came out yesterday. I was really excited about Action Comics number 1000 coming out yesterday. I didn't pull the guys and, uh, you know, uh, the folks in my office in and go, okay, let me talk about Action Comics number 1000 for an hour about how cool the story is and how great the art is and how important Superman is because I'm at work, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Um, and I don't, you know, you, you know, if I want to keep getting a paycheck, I gotta, you know, do, do my job and you go to Comic-Con and it's four and a half days of whatever that thing is that you love. There's somebody there who loves it more. 
and who knows stuff about it that you don't. And quite frankly, also the guy who created it is there and you get to shake his hand and it's going to mean something to you because when you were eight, you read this thing that formed, you know, I, the example I use is, you know, as a kid, I grew up and I was reading DC comics and Superman was such a big sort of way. I sort of formed my view of the world in terms of what, what it meant to be powerful. Um, sort of the core idea in my opinion of Superman is that those who are granted great power have a responsibility to use it on behalf of other people. Right. Um, and that sort of Superman's whole thing is he's the most powerful thing walking on the planet, but he goes and he thinks we're, we're so cool. Right. He, he, Superman thinks, man, you know, humans are awesome. Right. (laughs) And that's a cool thing to sort of a, a cool sort of thing. If you're, if you're lucky enough to have privilege to sort of, understand that privilege is unearned and that that you know it's it's kind of cool to be able to use it on behalf of other people and it's all about that it's all about sort of spending four and a half days with people who are really engaged and really interested and really i'll be honest some of the best people in the world not everybody's perfect but some of the best people you're ever going to meet in the world you're going to meet at comic-con some of the kindest most generous most sort of loving people all go to san diego for four and a half days um, and talk about the stuff they love. I can't think of a better place to spend four and a half days. It's, it's definitely, I've, I've been lucky enough. I think what's this year's 2018. So this will likely be my official 20th year going to Comic-Con. I've been lucky enough to, to go for 20 years. Um, but I didn't go until I was 28 years old and I had heard about it my whole life. And so, so to a certain extent, even though I've gone for 20 years, there is a part of me that, feels bad that I missed the, the, the 28 comic cons that happened before I got a chance to go. I'm really upset that I'm like, ah, oh, is there a way I can go back in time and go to those? Cause those are probably pretty cool. Yeah. Well, and I remember it too. Like, I mean, it's just people from all over, like all different kinds of people coming together. So there's just kind of a, a beauty in that as well. And yeah, I mean, it's oh just, it's, there's nothing else like it. Well, um, and talk about yeah. inclusivity and diversity, right? Like everybody's there. And particularly in the last several years as the gender balance has really shifted. Um, you know, when I started going to Comic-Con 20 years ago, it was like 85% folks who identified as male and 15% folks who identified as, as female. Um, you didn't see a large contingent uh, of folks who identified as, as trans. You didn't see a lot of women. You ju- it just wasn't, it was the same old, you know, sort of, and even I, you know, I was, I'm black. So even I was like, a pretty rare sight at Comic-Con and now everybody goes and it's, it's people from all over the gender spectrum. It's people from all sort of walks of life. And it's just a really amazing place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and I guess, um, as we kind of wrap up and sort of that, you know, speaking of Comic-Con it's just kind of this, uh, great cross section of people and fandoms and everything. Um, you know, you mentioned like, uh, action comics and stuff. Um, what else is sort of grabbing your attention specifically like right now? What are you reading, watching, listening to that we could uh, link out to in the show notes? Um, there's, there's, I'm really into a couple of podcasts right now. Everybody knows about My Favorite Murder. It's a, it's a terrific podcast. It's so good. It's so funny. The two women who do that show are, are kind of amazing. Um, I, uh, 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 Black Panther is, was massive. And I've, I've talked, if anybody wants to hear me talk about black Panther, do a search for black Panther. My name, there's a million places where I'm talking about black Panther, but the black lightning TV show mm. just finished, uh, this week. Um, and it's interesting because black lightning, cause he's a DC guy was actually the first sort of black superhero I was aware of. Um, and the, the show is really good. And it's, it really, 
is a show that's very intentionally talking about uh, uh, social issues in, in a very cool and interesting way. So I, I'm 100% behind that. The other thing is Mad Magazine just sort of relaunched, and I just got my, my first issue subscription uh, last night. Um, and I haven't had a chance to really dig into it, but I read like the first couple just flipped through and it's pretty cool. Mad Magazine's been around my whole life since before I was born. And it's such an influential magazine that people don't really think about a lot. But I, I tell folks, Mad Number One, they renumbered it, is on the stands right now. Go out and find a copy of Mad Magazine because holy smokes, is it funny. <laughs> um, it's just really just straight up funny. Yeah. Um, um, and I, I can talk about this stuff for hours. I also just finished... Uh, got off of Amazon, the uh, annotated Sandman, which if you haven't read the Sandman comics, they're fantastic. Um, and there's a series of books uh, uh, that are about, that are in essence, uh, it's a fairly dense read uh, for a graphic novel. And so it, it reprints the comic in black and white, but then has a lot of, you know, sort of annotations uh, available to uh, sort of give you a, a deeper understanding of sort of what was going on. I was in Las Vegas for my nephew's funeral or not his funeral oh my god his wedding um <laughs> that's a big mistake uh and I, I i spent a lot of time in my hotel room because i'm cheap and didn't want to gamble um and so i spent two days sort of reading the annotated sandman uh and it was just amazing i, I had the greatest time sitting in a hotel room and, and reading uh through this so uh there's a bunch of great stuff out there very cool um yeah so, uh, yeah, we'll link, uh, we'll find some links to that stuff so people can check it out. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we will end the episode here. Um, anything or things that you are looking forward to in your job, life and or the world just to wrap up the episode on an optimistic note. Yeah, I'm looking forward to a lot of stuff. I'm looking forward to, uh, San Francisco comic cons coming up in June. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to that. We've got a panel, uh, that we're doing. I'm hoping uh, Cal just, uh, uh, my university, Cal, we call it just launched an esports uh, program. Oh, cool. Um, and part of that is a women in gaming initiative, which is really cool. I'm hoping fingers crossed that I can pull a panel together for those, uh, those, uh, women who are part of that organization. I always love doing panels with students who can talk about sort of the, mm -hmm. their fandoms. Um, if I can pull it together for San Francisco comic-con, I'd be really super excited. Um, and I'm just looking forward to the summer, um, summer, you know, Avengers opens next week, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, everybody's kind of stoked about that. Um, uh, Brian Michael Bendis is starting a new writer on the Superman books. Super excited about that. Um, I'll be honest, I've been traveling a lot lately. And so I really, I got a stack of comics next to my, next to my bed, uh, my reading table that is bigger than me. And I look forward to a weekend where I don't have to travel and I can just sit down and, and just power through some, some really great comics. Yeah. Yeah. All great stuff. And, uh, yeah, best, yeah. best of luck with the, uh, the conventions coming up and everything. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm sort of looking forward to like a weekend of nothing soon. Um, yeah. Uh, which is just like, like hashtag adulthood. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's all, all great stuff. And, uh, yeah, really cool because actually, it's uh, I guess by the time this one posts, we'll have just posted our episode that kind of explores uh, the kind of campus esports a little bit more. So, um, very curious, kind of seeing that uh, blossom a bit. So, I think that's definitely a good idea to kind of highlight that uh, 
that work. Um, yeah, I'm super excited about it, mostly because it's a little outside of my own fandom because I get a little motion sick when I play video games. So <laughs> I haven't been a big video game person just because I get physically ill. But uh, yeah. I'm really excited to see what happens. There you go. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, uh, yeah, I just appreciate your time and uh, all that you shared. And um, yeah, just again, we can uh, include stuff down in the show notes for folks to check out and ways to uh, uh, find uh, Al online. And um, yeah, just uh, again, appreciate your time and have a good uh, rest of your night. Thanks. Good talking to you. This podcast is a proud member of the Connect EDU podcast network, bringing together diverse voices and thoughtful discussions to the higher ed community. Check us out online at connectedu.network or on Twitter at connectedupod. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.